Uh, without further delay, I'd like to welcome Michael DeClerc. I'd like to begin like I begin my Bible study. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful. Grant them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that by the same Holy Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, the Son. I was raised in an evangelical Lutheran home in a suburb of Chicago called Palatine. My grandparents on both sides of my family are Catholic. My parents, aunts and uncles, all attended Mass on Sundays uh, during their childhood. Before I was born, my family began attending Lutheran service on Sunday. We always sang at church. Singing hymns at church was our way as a family to worship God. And those are some of my most profound childhood memories, singing with my family on Sunday at church. I remember that hymn every Easter, let all the vault of heaven resound. I remember lift high the cross. I remember every Sunday when we sang, this is the feast of victory for our God. And my favorite line was, for the lamb who was slain has begun his reign. Alleluia. We knew that if everyone sang loudly, you wouldn't hear yourself, you would hear everyone. I was moved by the beauty of those hymns and I internalized them. I listened to the words. I learned about Christ's blood sacrifice for my sins. My story is about mercy, and God showed me his mercy in so many different ways. I had many negative experiences in, um, with my peers in elementary school. I was beaten at school, sometimes severely, I was ostracized. I learned who was involved in gangs. I learned that there were certain students who had drugs to sell. I remember that many of those students came from broken families. What was different about me was that I did not come from a broken family. My parents never divorced. My experience there was not unique but I was very sensitive 
to what was happening around me. I began to believe that no one loved me. I despaired often. I did not trust anybody. I had this strong sense of self-hatred. I remember all of the results of that anxiety, of thinking that I'm not loved, being disobedient to my parents. At one point, I remember thinking, well, if I can't be loved, then at least I can be right. God brought good out of that. I was very prideful, but through that desire, that, that pride, God gave me a thirst for truth. I asked a lot of questions. God helped me to realize that I was a sinner, that I was in need of his mercy. I prayed to Jesus when I was desperate. I read from the book of Romans, and this seemed to match exactly my experience. By the time I was in sixth grade, I believed that the Bible taught the following things, that I was a sinner, incapable of doing good, that in order for me to be saved, I needed to believe in Jesus, the Son of God. And I believed that I would go to heaven if I kept that faith in him. I thank God for that faith that, he, that God gave me. The gifts that God gives are because of his mercy. I was exposed to Catholicism during my childhood through my grandmother. She would usually get into an argument with my, with my dad about religion every time when she visited the house. And before the meal, she would always pray, bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts. And my sisters and I thought, oh, that's just grandma's prayer. You know, grandma likes to say that prayer. <laughs> uh, we never heard anyone else using that blessing. Um, uh, I personally believed the Catholic faith to be very misguided. I had many misconceptions. I thought that the Catholic Church believed in works-based salvation. And I thought that the Catholic Church had accepted idol worship, namely the worship of Mary, the mother of God. One time, I remember one of my classmates at school telling me, you know, those Catholics, they pray this prayer, it's called the Rosemary. <laughs> I had no idea what the Rosemary was, my Italian mother would put rosemary on our pork tenderloin. <laughs> but I figured that maybe Catholics are just strange anyway. It was because of those misconceptions uh, that I believed about Catholics that I believed that Catholics had disregarded the authority of Scripture. None of this even when I was arguing against my grandmother, none of this deterred her. She perseveres. 
It was through her creativity and her faithful perseverance that God would work mercy in my life. I credit my grandma with my devotion to St. Michael the Archangel. It began when she gave me a medal, a St. Michael medal, when I was in elementary school. I wore it every day. I thought it was awesome. You know, St. Michael's in Revelation 12. He cast Satan out of heaven. She also gave me a holy card, a St. Michael holy card, and I kept that holy card. And though I'd stopped wearing the medal, I had this devotion. And I remember my first year, freshman year of high school, study hall. For whatever reason, I decided to bring my holy card with me. I sat down, and to my right, the student turned to me, and he pulled out a wad of, of uh, cellophane, marijuana wrapped in cellophane. He said, would you like some? And I refused. I was unsure what was going to happen next. He said that he respected that, that uh, if I didn't want any, that was fine. And he introduced himself. His name was Nate. We ended up having a friendly conversation about some Japanese cartoon show. Then he looked down at my desk and saw the St. Michael holy card. He said, wow, that's pretty cool. Can I see that? And I said, yeah, sure, here. I gave it to him. And uh, he decided to draw it. He was an artist, so he, he, he drew it out on paper very detailed. It was beautiful. St. Michael, spear, scales, Satan underfoot. He handed it back to me. He said, here, I, uh, this is my gift to you. I said, can you sign this? I had him sign it. I kept that. I kept that for many years. I, I recognized later that St. Michael was there. God was there with his mercy, keeping me from turning toward drugs and keeping me uh, from falling into sin. I never saw Nate in study hall again. Please pray for him. My sophomore year, a woman came into my life. Her name, uh, I'll call her Rachel. She changed my life forever. Rachel met me after third hour by my locker, and we got to talking. Well, we found that we were really attracted to each other. And I found out that she was Christian. In time, it was clear to me that, that she loved me very much, and not because of my accomplishments, not because of what I could do, but because of who I was. She loved me for my own sake. And because of that love, I had this strong desire to love her back. I spent all my free time with her. I thought of her at many moments of the day. I remember going to her door on Sweetest Day with shirt and tie and her favorite flowers, carnations. I remember writing letters to her I remember setting up a table with candles and flowers and a steak potato dinner on top of the highest hill in Palatine. Got my rented tuxedo out, I escorted her up the hill, and I asked her to prom that way. She made me feel really loved, Rachel did, and I wanted to love her back.
It was a new way of living for me because for the first time, I was starting to focus my life on someone else's life other than my own. Where I was turned inward before, God was opening me up to love. Rachel and I often went to Bible study together. We talked about theology. We had one major difference. It was uh, John's Cal- John Calvin's teaching on predestination. And I mentioned this story because I had many wonderful conversations with her. But in this conversation, I wasn't going to argue with Rachel. I wasn't there to argue for argument's sake. I was there to ter- determine what is really true because I didn't know. Has God predestined us, some of us, for hell? no matter what we believe or what we do? Is free will just an illusion? I had trouble accepting that I had no free will. If heaven is what I'm to hope for, how can I hope for it if God has already decided? I decided to open up my Bible to Genesis chapter 1 and start reading. I read that God created the earth and the heavens, and he called it good. And at the end, he created man and woman, and he he called the whole thing very good. That last verse in Genesis 1.31 struck me. I believed that human beings were depraved and incapable of doing good, but my relationship with Rachel was different. There's no way I thought that she could love me if she did not have free will. And I knew she did. I saw her flaws and I loved them. And I realized that that wasn't depravity. That was wounds. I look back now and realize that was a huge turning point for me. For it was there that I was opening myself up to what God would want to give me in the Catholic faith. Near the end of my senior year, Rachel and I found ourselves going to different colleges. I felt that God was calling me to break up with her, so I did. I realized that she was not mine to keep, she was God's. God had a plan. There was another person I'd like to talk about who deeply affected me in high school. His name was James. He was on my swim team. My senior year, my team had set these very high goals. We were going to go undefeated in season. We were going to win conference. We were going to beat Palatine, our rivals. We did all of that for our coach, who after 25 years had 14 undefeated seasons. We were on top of the world. The day of the state finals came. I remember my dad parked the car outside of, uh, across from the street of Miss Sophie's home, one of my teammates' mothers, where some of my teammates had stayed over that night in preparation for the state meet. 
My dad got out of the car. I remember it was snowing. I saw Miss Sophie sort of hobble out of the house. She was weeping visibly. And she cried out. She, she turned to my dad and I. She cried out. She said, Take your son. Hold him close. Do not let him go. She turned and went back into the house. I was struck to the heart by what she said, but I was confused. What is going on? It seemed like hours, and my dad received a call finally from a teammate. We learned that James was dead. James had slept over at the house that night with a few other teammates. There was no drug use. There was no alcohol. Nothing fishy going on. When my teammates awoke, James wasn't breathing. Someone attempted CPR, but he was already dead. I learned a lot more about James in death than I knew about him in life. James had been involved in youth group and attended church regularly with his loving family. He was also very involved, devoted to his faith. He was studying the church fathers. I put aside my prejudice and misconceptions about Catholicism. I wanted to celebrate James' faith. At the vigil, I remember our coach reassuring us that our hard work had been worth it, that our season was not pointless, but it felt pointless. We had achieved everything we asked for, but I realized that any one of us could have passed away just like James did. I remember all my teammates dressed in our best suits, paying James our last respects. We were healthy, we were strong. We were at our top physical condition, but we could not escape death. And it was at St. Michael's Cemetery where he was buried, and we put our roses on his casket. And it was St. Michael who was teaching me that day that my accomplishments were not enough. I began to have a strong desire to live a better life, a life more focused on Christ and in pursuing him, my final goal. I didn't believe in praying for the dead, but one night, waiting for my parents to pick me up, I prayed for James, and I asked James to pray for me. After I graduated high school, I went to the University of Illinois Champaign-Urbana. I lived in a dormitory called St. John's Catholic Newman Center, which is a, pri a chapel, private housing, and a Newman Center all in one. One of my Lutheran youth group friends was living there at the time and really enjoyed it. And her mom talked to my mom, thought it was a good idea. 
I had no, no idea what to expect when I would go there and live. I arrived. At the time, I was floating spiritually. I had many questions. Why did God put me here? What did he make me for? Why am I alive and not James? Looking back, I see how God was preparing me. I had already decided I was going to go church shopping. I knew I had to find a church and start attending regularly. But because the Catholic chapel was right there, in the same building I was living in, I decided I would go see what the Catholic Church is all about. I had every intention of going elsewhere. I was, I guess you could say, a curious observer. So I went to Mass. The beauty that I experienced there was incredible. That was the first time that I'd ever heard Gregorian chant in a liturgy. It was beautiful. And the artwork, the marble, I was very, very much attracted to that. But what I didn't like was what everyone was saying and doing. <clears throat> Lutheran service has many similarities to the Mass. But for me, all those little differences were just popping out, very strange. I remember even from the opening sign of the cross, all these Catholics doing this same motion all together, synchronized at the same time. It was very disconcerting. <laughs> I, was, I was very judgmental. I thought, oh, well, the Pharisees did the same thing. You know, they all did the outward signs. I remember at the creed, everyone bowing at the words, was born of the Virgin Mary. And I thought, oh, everyone's bowing to Mary because they're worshiping her. <laughs> okay. Suddenly, Everyone knelt. The bells were rung. I was caught in an incredible silence. The priest began to speak the words of consecration. This is my body. He elevated the host. My eyes were fixed on the altar. Something caught me by the heart. I had heard these words before. Hadn't my pastor said the same thing? Similar? This is my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. There was something different, substantially different. I remembered the words of Jesus at the Last Supper. I felt I was there. I looked around at the congregation kneeling in silent reverence before who? 
It seemed to me as if Jesus was standing before me. And I believed that Jesus was present. We were directed by, the, by a server that non-Catholics would be unable to receive communion. I had no problem with this. Jesus was present and I was happy to be there. When I left Mass that day, I decided that my church shopping was over. I don't remember a flashy homily. I don't remember meeting any students. There was one person that I met in the chapel that day. It was Jesus. Within a few weeks, as I continued to attend Sunday Mass, St. John's asked for volunteers. I had served as an usher in the Lutheran Church, so I put my name down. They contacted me, and I went to the training. And I remember the student sacristan explaining to us how to usher. I pulled him aside, and I told him I'm not Catholic, and he sort of he was a little bit surprised. But he said, that, that'll be fine. It wasn't long before I went on a few retreats. Students were inviting me. I remember my first rosary walk. I found out that Catholics don't pray the rosemary. <laughs> they pray the rosary. It's a series of Hail Marys and Our Fathers. In my mind, I thought it was probably idolatry, but I was moved by the devotion that I saw in my fellow students. Praying the rosary isn't exactly trendy. <laughs> I thought if anyone could endure that for so long, I mean, they must have some devotion. On, on the retreat, I met a rosary-praying student named Mahoney. He invited me to pray with him at night from what is called the Divine Office, Psalms. He introduced me to a whole group of students, some ten of them, who prayed night prayer regularly. And I remember how, how, how Mahoney spoke to me with respect, like a brother. It was Mahoney who invited me to join a Bible study. It was led by a man named Connor, who was a student leader in what's an organization called Fellowship of Catholic University Students. Do Catholics really believe in the authority of the Bible? I was surprised to find out that yes, they do. The Hail Mary comes from Luke chapter 1 the papacy from Matthew 16, confession from John 20, apostolic succession in Acts 1, the church in Ephesians. 
the Eucharist in John chapter 6. I was astounded by Catholic biblical teaching. I quickly realized that I wasn't getting Connor's opinion. I was hearing the same thing on Sunday during the homily. The consistency was very attractive to me. It was eye-opening. I had never heard anything like Catholic biblical teaching before. And no one had ever given me a single biblical reason to consider the Catholic faith. But I said to myself, Catholics still got it wrong somehow. <laughs> I took Connor on a little walk. I was going to tell him that what he believed was false. The Catholic Church believed that we're saved by works, and that's not true. I remember arguing with him, and I remember him simply quoting maybe once from the book of James, but he was very calm. He was happy to be there. I was a bit astounded by that. Most people that I spoke with about faith, especially if I was going to tell them that what they believed was wrong, I would have expected frustration, passionate argument, some type of response, the, of upsetness. Not so with Connor. I think he saw me there as wanting the best for him. And at the end of that conversation, I said, I can't give up on this guy. He's, he's too humble. He's very faithful. So I decided I'm going to keep going to the Bible study. <laughs> Have you ever gone to Bible study out of pride? Huh? <clears throat> I had a lot of questions. I was eventually encouraged to attend RCIA, and I would just characterize my RCA experience with a story. Mahoney and I were sitting in the chapel one night praying from the Psalms, and we were quiet. We were in silence. We spent many, many minutes in silence. And, and he turned to me, and he said, I, I learned something today uh, from the early church fathers. Do you mind if I share it with you? And I said, yeah, yeah, please. He said, Moses commanded the people to spread the blood of the unblemished lamb on the doorposts, and the angel of death passed over. How much more does the blood of Jesus spread on the lips of believers, the doorway to the temple that they are in Christ, have the angel of death pass over them? I, I was astounded. I was amazed at what he said. God was speaking to me through Mahoney. His mercy is undeserved. He will give it even when we're not listening. I was trying to listen as hard as I could. 
I had an intense desire to receive Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity. I had an intense desire to go to confession. I, I had 10 years of known sins. I remember turning to the priest. I asked him, please, hear my confession. He said, I can't. I said, please, hear my confession. What if I die? And he relented. He said, okay, I'll hear your confession, but I can't give you absolution. So I was so happy when I sat down with him and confessed my sins to him, and he prayed with me. I remember a phone conversation that I had with Rachel about the Catholic faith. During the conversation, she said, you know, if you become Catholic, there's no going back. All I could say to her was, yes, you're right. I knew that receiving the sacraments was like a marriage between God and I. I was making a covenant promise that I believe what Jesus teaches through his church. I realized at that moment that Rachel and I may never get back together again, but I had to follow what God was asking me to do. I became very, very, very concerned about what I was learning at that point. I prayed very hard. God continued to confirm me, to remind me of John chapter 6. Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity. I was afraid to explain my newfound love of the Catholic faith to my parents. I thought they might pull me out of school. I was wrong. I couldn't have been more wrong. Even though they were shocked to hear the news, they allowed me to receive the sacraments. I thank God for that. Thank God for them because God showed his mercy through them. I received first confession, confirmation, and first Eucharist on Divine Mercy Sunday in 2006. Grandma was there, overjoyed. Divine Mercy Sunday is the feast where we celebrate the mercy of Jesus and we're called to imitate his mercy. I began to go to daily mass. I went and availed myself of the sacrament of penance many times. I was trying to fight my sins head on. St. Michael was with me all the way and my roommate, Justin, had another thing for me. He kept inviting me to pray the rosary. I would make all these excuses. Oh, I'm too busy. But he would pester me every day with the same question. See, that's the way that, G that mercy is. 
We don't necessarily want it, but God keeps knocking. God called me to to lead a Bible study in the public dorms. I never thought I would do such a thing. I was so afraid to speak in front of people. (laughs) What if I make a mistake? God won that battle. My junior year, I discerned that God was calling me to do something way out of my comfort zone, to go and teach in the Archdiocese of Chicago. Over the summer, we would teach at seven parishes, grades one through 12. I thought, no way, no way. I thought, I'm not a people person. Look at me, I'm an introvert, all right? I am. How can I be possibly good at this? God won that battle too. I was accepted into the program. I was so afraid I didn't know what to say. I, I brought a, a whole suitcase of books, thinking that I'm going to teach these, you know, first and second graders with my books, right? <clears throat> uh, there was only a few books I needed, the Bible and the Catechism. That summer, I entrusted myself in a more profound way to God. Being with children all day, trying to get them to sit still during Mass, attempting to teach first graders about the mysteries of the rosary, moving 90 children at recess. This experience taught me something about Mary's motherhood. She's patient. She's persevering. She endured suffering, her son on the cross. She gave us her son. And I realized that Jesus gave us his mother out of mercy when he said to his beloved disciple, behold your mother in John 19. After consecrating myself to the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Lord put the idea of priesthood on my heart. I applied to seminary in 2009. I was not ready to enter. My dad was encouraging me to work, so I wanted to honor his promise, and I started looking for a job in 2009. I was looking for software engineering. In 2009, no one was hiring. I kept going to Mass every day, and there was a woman named Diane, and she said, you're looking for a job, aren't you? I said, yes, and I can't find one. Here, she said, pray this prayer. Pray this prayer once a day for a whole week. You will get a job. It was a prayer to St. Joseph, O glorious St. Joseph. I did not get a job in a week, but I kept praying the prayer every day. Months later, after I landed an interview with Rockwell Collins, I was flown out to Cedar Rapids in March of 2010. I remember going to Mass at St. Wenceslaus on Thursday night. And I asked Father Chris to pray for me. 
The next day, after my interviews, I came to Immaculate Conception Church, and they were praying, Bob was praying the O Glorious St. Joseph prayer for jobs in the Cedar Rapids area. I seemed, it seemed to me that my prayers were confirmed. After some discernment, it came clear to me that God was calling me to Cedar Rapids, Iowa at Immaculate Conception Parish. I've been leading a Bible study at Kirkwood since 2012. Many of, my, many of the students are here. God bless them. I have the privilege of teaching confirmation preparation at St. Wenceslaus. And I lead a prayer group, a men's prayer group, called Sons of the Holy Ghost here at Immaculate Conception every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. Please, if you're interested, come and talk to me. Throughout my life, God has shown me his mercy. He heard the prayers of my grandmother, who continues to persevere. The Lord granted the gift of faith to sustain me. He draws me to himself. God makes his mercy known to me through my friends, my parents. God powerfully makes his mercy known to me in the Eucharist. Whether you are 17 or 27 or 57 or 97, this mercy is for you. Are you seeking his mercy? God wants to show you his mercy every single day. God wants to lead you on an incredible journey. We don't know where it's going to lead. St. John Paul II reminded us that Jesus came so that they may have life and have it abundantly. If we could close in prayer together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end, amen. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.